Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to look, really, we're going to look at one verse, but we're going to see the context of it, so I'll read more. So if you're able, would you stand with me at this time as we look to God's word? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our eyes clearly, that we would have the insight that comes only through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand your word, to see it, uh, to digest it, Lord, that it would uh, percolate within us and, and, and be demonstrated in how we live. Give us eyes to see, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read... Um, hmm, verses 12 through 17, and understand that uh, the, the context ahead of that really is about uh, discipline and how uh, the father disciplines the one whom he loves, okay? And we, we pick up with the word on verse 12, therefore, therefore, because of those things, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance though he sought for it with tears. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. You want to keep that open because we'll be in Romans, or Romans, Hebrews chapter 12, um, and specifically verse 14. Now we're going to diverge for a moment into, uh, of course, one of my favorite topics, which is ice cream. Um, what would you do for a Klondike bar? Yeah, you know the slogan. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Okay, Klondike bars were invented uh, back in the 20s in, uh, a, by a company named Isley. And for those of us from the north, uh, we, we have fond memories of Isley's uh, from Mansfield, Ohio. And we go to Isley's and we get some chip-chopped ham and a skyscraper ice cream cone and a Klondike. And some of you are going, well, what's chip-chopped ham? That's the first thing you can't get by. It's ham that's... It's, you can read the newspaper through it, okay? And for those of up, us up north, now I know this is heresy, we would make barbecue with this, okay? <laughs> you would take the chip-chopped ham and you'd put it with some pickle relish and some other things, put it in a pot with some, just, heaven forbid, store-bought barbecue sauce, okay? <laughs> and you'd let it simmer and then you'd put it on a bun and that was a barbecue sandwich, okay? Well, I didn't know what a pork bun growing up, okay, but, but I, the, the curtain of mystery has been drawn by, and I have seen the light, okay? Um, so, so you would get a Klondike, and, and the Klondikes, you know, they're the square things, and, and they're vanilla ice cream covered with chocolate, and Isley's went out of business, and the Klondike name was sold to a Good Humor, and uh, I don't think it's quite the same, but of course those are memories I have of Klondikes growing up. But the advertising slogan, what would you do for a Klondike bar? Well, it kind of got out of hand. And, and people began to make their own lists of what would you do for a Klondike bar, kind of as a test. So I just, I just three quick ones here. 
What would you do for a Klondike bar? And would you wear a dress made out of duct tape? No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Okay. Would you go to the grocery store in your pajamas? Hey, you don't even have to offer Klondikes. Okay, for people to go to the grocery store in their pajamas. You, you see them there, okay? Now, now this, this doesn't seem like much until you read what freaks people out the most in society. Would you stand facing the wrong way in an elevator? That really makes people uncomfortable. Okay, now that's it's shocking how, how uncomfortable people get when you walk in the elevator and then you turn like this and just stare at them. You know, like, like the, so, and then of course the other side, what, what would you not do for a Klondike bar? And I only have to read one, let a tarantula walk on my face. Um, you know, if, uh, if for those James Bond aficionados, aficionados um, in the first James Bond movie, which was Dr. No, there's a tarantula that, that somebody sneaks into his room and crawls up his person as he's in bed. But Sean Connery, who was like number three in Mr. Europe, and, and James Bond, the hero of every young man, he was too afraid to let the tarantula crawl on his person, so they put a piece of glass there, and the, and the tarantula's crawling up like this and never touches him, you know. I, I wouldn't get a Klondike, I can tell you right away. Right, right. Well, someone even turned the slogan into a board game. Has anyone ever seen the board game, What Would You Do for a Klondike Bar? I don't think it was a big seller, no. <laughs> but the packaging looked just like a giant Klondike. And it's described this way, get creative, think quickly, and put your talents on display. These are the three keys to winning this hilarious game of minor skill and major will, where players compete in creative, courageous, and cockamamie challenges while racing to collect what? All six Klondike bars. Okay, there it is. It's probably on eBay for $100 somewhere you can buy. But, but we are willing as a, as a people to go to great lengths to get what we want. What would you be willing to do, guys, to win her heart? What did you do? Did you do things you'd never do again? I mean, <laughs> did, you, did you go to great lengths? What would you be willing to do to be successful in your profession? Now, that's not just striving. That also may fall into the ethics area. Would you be willing to compromise your ethics to be successful in your profession? What would you be willing to do to have your dream house? How many of us have sacrificed years and years and saved and scrimped and rolled coins just so that we could have a down payment? What would you be willing to do to lose weight? Ah, Dan told us very clearly last week, eat less, do more. Okay, I know that's a secret, but it's out. Okay. What would you be willing to do to ensure a good future for your children? So these are all interesting questions, but for the believer, they do not represent the most important of questions. And the most important of questions for the believer is, what am I willing to do to be holy? What am I willing to do to be holy? And you think, well, didn't God just make us holy when he saved us? But, but we read scripture here that says, let's make sure we have it here, verse 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Sanctification, holiness. Without that, you're not going to see the Lord. What would you be willing to do to be holy? Now, I'll remind you what Dan made clear to us last week, that hanging out with holy people or hanging out in a holy place does not make us holy. doesn't make us holy. 
J.C. Ryle wrestled with this 100 years ago, and he said, there's a natural attraction to places and people and groups that are exciting to be a part of, where godly enthusiasm is demonstrated and apparent zeal for the Lord is to be found. But the proof of the reality of individual holiness is not found in events or worship or feelings concerning these things, but in the level of practical holiness demonstrated in the life of each believer. Practical holiness that is demonstrated in the life of each believer. Not a feeling about it, not good thoughts about holiness, not stuff that we want to do, but actually doing those things that promote and demonstrate holiness and sanctification without which none of us will see the Lord. So what would you be willing to do to live a holy life? Okay, Rand, I want to know. What, give me four things. If you can just give me the four things, I'll run right out tomorrow and I'll start to do them. It, it just doesn't work that way. It just does not work that way. Our society puts a priority on the here and now and on achieving now. We are achievers in this society. All you have to do is go to other places and... Um, who was I? I'm sorry if I've forgotten who told me this this, this week. Um, but they, they were talking about uh, being in another country and saying that uh, we were going to, you know, uh, we were going to work all day and um, we, we were going to need 100 drinks. I was going to buy 100 drinks from this guy's store. And the guy said, well, I'm closed from 2 to 4 for siesta. But, but we're going to come in and buy 100 drinks from your store. Sorry. Okay. In America... I'd get my kids out of bed to sell 100 drinks to a bunch of people. You know, it's, come on, let's go, let's sell. And they're like, no, no, we're on siesta. Okay, it just doesn't work that way. In our society, we like production. We like success. We like action. Uh, somebody wants to buy stuff from us, we'll open the store. Okay? Now, the problem in, in the success and the work of holiness is that sometimes we can get lost in the doing and forget the being. We can get lost in the doing and forget the being. Uh, we have a strong desire to emulate those, those spiritual giants that we saw go before us. Okay? We think, and, and I'm, just, I'm just thinking of, of the great missionaries and, 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 and people that we have listed in the past here. William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Jim Elliott, uh, Donoram Judson, Eric Liddell, uh, Jonathan Edwards, John, Charles Wesley, uh, William Wilberforce, Billy Graham, all these people, we think of their lives and they did these great works. And we think, oh man, I, I want to be like them. I want to be an activist. I want to be an evangelist. I want to be a church planner. I want to demonstrate my life in Christ. I want these things to be lived out. Well, our classic spiritual heroes were only heroes because they had first built up this storehouse of spiritual insight and intimacy with the Lord. They just didn't jump right off and do they stored up. They built up. They got to know the Lord. They got to know his word. They built this closeness with intimacy with the Lord. And then they began to draw upon that storehouse as they went out and lived it out. Action is needed. Outgrowth and demonstration of holiness is needed. It is necessary. But if we're not careful, we'll substitute activism for the hard work of holiness. We'll substitute just going out and doing and doing and doing and not being with the Lord and not feasting on his word and not growing close to him and intimate in solitude and prayer and meditation and corporate worship and self-examination and regular practice of our devotional lives. 
We'll put that off. We'll go, well, you know, I, I, I got to go do today. I can't study for an hour. I think it was Luther. He'd get up in the morning and, and look at his schedule and go, I, I, I got 20 hours of work, so I'm going to have to spend five hours in study of the word this morning. You know, my, even my poor math measures 25 hours, and they're not 25 hours in a day. But that's how he would look at it. In order to achieve what the Lord has for me, I've got to know more of him. I've got to rely more upon him. We can't devolve into a, well, I've got lots to do, so Randy, give me the four things so I can be holy. Okay, that, that doesn't cut it. Holiness is an entire lifestyle. Remember uh, several weeks ago, a couple months ago, we talked about some of the shortcomings in the evangelical church today. And, and some of those were a reliance upon the subjective and a pushing aside of the intellectual study. Now, in our brains, in, in holiness, it takes both of those. Okay, we have to rightly understand the word, and we have to rightly understand the mysteries of the spirit at the same time. They go together. We must have good, clear, intellectual work that is done on the Word. We've got more resources than we have ever had to study the Word, to know the Word. But we also have to be quiet before the Lord and wait upon Him. And, and here is this, this mixture of the, the objective truths of God's Word and the subjective truths of the Holy Spirit. And how do we live those things out? It takes both. It takes both. Because spiritual transformation is a long journey. Salvation is instantaneous. Just like that. One moment you are an enemy of God. The Lord opens your eyes. He gives you faith. You believe. You are now his. It happens in an instant. But the spiritual transformation of growth and maturity takes a long time. Okay? How old were you when you were born? Well, you, you, were, you were just this, this old, okay? And, and how have you grown since then? Did you come out at 6'1", tall? Well, your mother hopes not, okay? No, you came out at 18, 19, 20 inches, you know? Um, and, and suddenly you, you, you ate the milk, then you ate that mushy stuff, and then you started on real food, and then you went to peanut butter and jelly, and scrambled eggs, and hot dogs, and chicken nuggets, and some of you are still not off of chicken nuggets yet, okay, but, but and then you got into real food, because you, you could take it, and you begin to grow and mature, and that's spiritual growth as well, and, and our society, you know, the pressures of culture, a hyperactive society, we can look for shortcuts, we can look for half measures, they end up giving us half measures of holiness, holiness is a lifestyle, it requires that we live differently than the world around us. And that is, we will face that again and again and again. In order to pursue intimacy with the Lord and quietness with the Lord, we have to, and this is, this is a made-up word, we have to unhectic our lives. Okay? We have to unhectic our lives. So often we run from this to this to this to this. We got the next thing in line, and and you know if if you're a if you have kids at home or if you can remember those days when you were just trying to keep your head above water with the schedules and the drive-throughs and the lessons and everything, and you got home and you just went, and they still had an hour of homework to do, 
and you had to clean up or you had to do this, we have to unhectic our lives so that we have time to grow intimate with the Lord, time to listen, to be quiet with him. So we have to structure our lives to develop both our spiritual brain and our spiritual heart. Okay. So let's look at what scripture says here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace, pursue, strive for is, is another term that is used. I like strive for better um, because you're just not chasing after peace. You're really chasing after peace. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I hope you understand that that represents one of the most frightening chapters or frightening verses in all of Scripture. When you look at it closely, pursue peace with all men, comma, and the, that's a definitive article, the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You understand that? If we don't pursue the right type of sanctification, if we don't demonstrate holiness in our lives, then what does it say? You won't see the Lord. Well, wait a minute. Are you telling me that there is an additional thing that we have to add or do to the work of Christ so that we will see the Lord? No. No. The work of Christ is finished on the cross. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. It is paid in full. The work is done. You are saved. If you are saved, you are saved by that finished work. You cannot add anything to it. Just imagine the gall of that it would take to say, you know, the Son of God came, and he was without sin, and he gave his life on the cross for my sins and washed me clean, but there are a couple things that I have to do to make it right. Imagine the gall of that statement. That, that the work of Christ was not sufficient. That's not what the passage is telling us. The passage is telling us, the passage is telling us that when you have received the righteousness of Christ, when it has been imputed to you, that means you have no righteousness of your own, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you, it is given to you, it covers your sin, you are saved, you will then desire to live a holy life. Okay? And, and if you don't desire to live a holy life, I question whether you have the imputed righteousness of Christ, whether your life has been changed. I mean, that's, this is where the rubber hits the road for the believer. Either Christ has changed you and you desire to live in accordance with his word to demonstrate the holiness that he enables us to live, or you don't believe. Okay? So I don't think we're nearly as frightened as, of this verse as we should be. Because there are measurable standards, according to the Lord, about holiness. And, and we'll look at some of those in just a moment. But understand, these words are in the imperative form. Imperative means command. Pursue, strive for peace with all men, and the definitive article, sanctification, without which you will not see the Lord. Holiness, he is commanding, is not the spotless righteousness of Christ that's given to us, he is commanding purity of life. Purity of life. Think of what Paul writes in the, to the Philippians in chapter 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. 
Don't fill your mind with the other stuff. Think on these things. Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to what? The teachings of the world? Uh, no, no, the teachings of the word. By guarding it according to your word, Heavenly Father. Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, does not swear deceitfully. So essentially the writer of Hebrews is telling his, his audience and telling us to pursue Christ-likeness on a regular basis without this constant and regular transformation into the image of Christ. A sinner has no rightful claim on the grace of God. Now think about that for a moment. It's an ongoing process. Some days will do good, some days will do bad. Some years will do good, some years will do bad, but it is an ongoing process. In real life, this means that if we're not following this process, if we have no desire to follow this process and really change our lives and really demonstrate holiness, this means you could conceivably go to church, conceivably read your Bible on a regular, semi-regular basis, um, and yet not be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Spurgeon said it this way, we may prove to be unconverted at the last and go to hell on a feather bed. Ugh. But it was comfortable. I was comfortable in my faith. Okay. Rand, you know, I raised my hand at 17. And I went forward. Okay. And, and, and I, I say that because I did that. At 15, it's a big conference. The gospel was preached. Raised my hand. Prayed the prayer. Went forward. My life was changed. But that's not where Christianity stopped. That's where Christianity began in my life. And then from there came the constant struggle. And, and it goes on. It will go on the rest of my life to conform to a purity of Christ. To conform to the holiness that he calls us to live out. And this battle that we, we, we see in our lives has been raised in the church at large in the last 20 years. It's called lordship, the, the lordship theology uh, issue, where people say, I'm saved by God's grace, and that's really all that I need. In my life, you know, God may change me, he may not. Mm, that's Christ as my savior. But, but we have Christ as our Lord, where we have to live in submission to what he says, submission to his word, submission to his will, if we're going to be holy. And you think, oh, Rand, you're just beating us to death with holiness, and we're only in the third week. Come on. The word holy is used over 700 times in Scripture. I want you to think 700 times. Scripture is, is very economic in its words. It only says things that are important. And in 700 times, it calls us to holiness and it warns us against worldliness. Those two things. Leviticus 19, 1 Peter, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And in our age where there is a lack of, of depth sometimes and a lack of push, uh, we get sermons that are maybe sharing or talking with friends. I've got ministers who, uh, friends who really are, are, are not expository preachers. They're just, I'm going to get up and share what's on my heart. Spurgeon said, sermonettes produce Christianettes. Okay? We don't want Christianettes like a drumette. You want a big honking leg. Okay? This is what we want. Holiness of heart and life 
seldom find much attraction when there's not a depth of knowledge of Scripture. And contrary to what the public often wants, the Bible seems to emphasize holiness ad nauseum. Uh, think about that. The Bible is just... It's just everywhere. Holiness is everywhere. It's the call to holiness. It's the call to, to leave worldliness. It's the call to pursue Christ. So why don't we? Heaven and hell are at stake here. Without this sanctification, without holiness, we're not going to see the Lord. Now, we're going to look at this in depth in later weeks, but I'll just give you some insight here, and I'm quoting a statistician. Surprisingly, there is virtually no research out there on the topic of holiness. From a statistician's perspective, this usually indicates that no one cares about the topic. Really. This is the current spiritual environment in America, despite the overwhelming witness of the scriptures. We're just not that interested in holiness. Why? Because it makes me live different than the world around me. And I don't want to live different than the world around me. I kind of like the way that they live. I just want, to, I just want a little taste now and then. And, and I'll go to church, and they won't, but we'll meet up again later in the week. Let's dig in some more to this verse 14 and what it says. This is a glorious call for us to do two things. Be at peace with the world and be at war with the world. Well, those, those two things are mutually exclusive, aren't they, Rand? How can I be at peace with the world and at the same time be at war with the world? And the answer is that can only be accomplished through God's grace. So let's look first. We are called to pursue peace with all men. Now there are at least two problems with that. There are probably more, but I'm only going to list two. They're comprised in the word compromise and in the word callousness. The two problems with peace with all men, compromise and callousness. Now some of us want peace with all men so much that we are ready to compromise our pursuit of holiness. We're willing to say, oh, well, you know, yeah, I'll come across this line and, and I'll compromise a little bit of my holiness just so I can have peace with this individual. We're ready to have an acceptance of the world in such a way that we compromise our profession of faith, we take on behaviors, we take on attitudes that, that are unholy. Now, how many of us have seen, or maybe even have people in our families who have had long-held biblical beliefs, firm theological foundations that they compromised on because somebody else in their family, somebody who was close to them, took on a behavior that they didn't agree with. And, they, and, and what happens is blood becomes thicker than theology. Okay? Ooh. Ooh. That's awful. Callousness, on the other hand, would be those who feel no responsibility whatsoever to be at peace with the world. Why? I'm a stranger in a strange land, and I'm just passing through, okay? And I've got my holy huddle here with my church and all my Christian friends, and God is going to sort all those other people out in his own time, but, but me and my buddies, we're good, and we're moving through, and I don't have to interact with any of them. Okay, we see that within culture. We see in sometimes even within good churches where people withdraw in. Romans chapter 12 says, If at all possible, be at peace insofar as it has to do with you. Be at peace with all men. This is a call to be at peace in the midst of the world. It's not isolation. It is to be in the world but not of 
New Testament theologian Donald Guthrie writes this. Peace with all men is possible only within the limits of what is right. There are, in fact, times when standing for just causes brings intense antagonism and peace is inevitably shattered. But the meaning is that every effort must be made to maintain peace, if at all possible. The reason for this is so that the blessing of God's peace may flow through us into the lives of other men. I think the real trick to obeying the commandment, it's recognizing that the reason we long to be at peace with the world is not so the world will like us. They hated Christ, they're going to hate us. Okay, The world will never like us, but it's so the world can be blessed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is lived through us, as the power of God's love flows through us, as we demonstrate this in holy living. That's the trick to being at peace with the world. Your motives have to be right to live at peace. Now, where does this idea come from? All the way back in the Old Testament. God comes to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you so that what? So that you will be a blessing to all the nations. That blessing is ultimately fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. That is the blessing to all nations that he talks about. Now, the second half of this verse. The sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. This is a call to war against worldliness. And that war begins here, in our own hearts. We like to think that we're going to go out there and battle that worldliness out there. The first place we have to battle worldliness is here in our own hearts. What is it that we love? What is it that we are willing to do in our own lives and not willing to do in our own lives? Am I willing to push out the worldliness of my own thoughts and of my own loves and of my own hearts and replace them with a love that comes only from here? Pursue the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Now first, notice that we're not just to pursue apparent sanctification, superficial sanctification, self-defined sanctification. That's false holiness. We are to pursue the real holiness. Pursue the, as I said before, this is a definitive article, the sanctification that comes and is defined by the Lord in his word. The right type of sanctification. There is a pseudo-sanctification that will lead to pseudo-holiness. There are pseudo-things that lead to false holinesses. Well, I want to be holy, and I think this is a good way to do it. The question is not whether I think it's a good way. The question is what? Does God say it's a good way? Does God say this is a real live demonstration of holiness? This is a real live way to live out the things of Christ in your life? Or do you think, this is what I like to do. I think it's a good thing, don't you? Don't ask me, okay? I got my own, you know, my own struggles here. These are lifelong struggles to conform our lives to God's definition of holiness. We must pursue the kind of sanctification that is necessary if anyone is going to follow the Lord and be in fellowship with him. Notice again the sanctification, the holiness, viewed here in this passage is an essential component of saving Christianity. It does not add to the work of Christ. It is seen in the life of every true believer. 
it is if grace has been received holiness will be lived out however imperfectly in our lives we will pursue holy living for God's glory our conformity to Christ why is this so important it's it's more important than just here in this world it is more important than just conveying the blessing of the gospel to the rest of the world. It is more important than just being a blessing. We've been blessed to be a blessing. Sanctification is preparation for our presence with God for all eternity. If God is holy, then those who fellowship with him must be holy in our spiritual quest to glorify God, enjoy him forever, and that a holy God, our character must be conformed in this world to the image of Christ. It will be done so imperfectly, not perfectly till we get to heaven. But imagine somebody who has lived against God all their life, and they're just counting on the fact that, that you know, when I get closer to death, I'm going to get serious with the Lord, okay? And for 80 years, 80 years, they have just lived selfishly. They've had no desire. Uh, and, and all of a sudden they go, you know, I'm getting older. Maybe I better have a safety cord. And now I'm going to start to go to church. Now I'm going to believe in the Lord. Do you really think a person who has devoted their life to everything that is antithetical to God would be happy for all eternity to be with the Lord? Because what are we going to do with the Lord? We're going to worship, we're going to serve, we're going to be served. You know, those are glorious things. And here you have somebody who has said, I, I've never wanted to have anything to do with the Lord, but maybe now. See, holiness is a preparation for heaven as well. You think of when we come to church, think of the best time. Maybe you were singing. You're surrounded by family, friends, group of Christians. Maybe, maybe it was some Christmas Eve. And you know, we had the candles and, and your heart was just melted to the things of the Lord. That, that doesn't even come close to what eternally worshiping the Lord in heaven will be like. It's just a taste. It's just a taste. Think of the closest moment you've ever had with your spouse in, in, in intimacy and how you, maybe your minds were one. That's just a taste of the intimacy that all believers will experience in heaven. These things get us ready for eternity. That's one of the works of holiness in our lives. We have to not just live holy lives, but we have to love living holy lives. We have to love it. He has created us to fellowship with him forever. And if we're going to fellowship with him forever, we've got to have something in common with him. The work of Christ, the desire of holiness, the living it out. The prophet Amos says, can two men walk together unless by agreement? If the Lord is going here, I have to be in agreement to walk with him. I can't say, Lord, I know you're over there, but I'm over here. Come with me. No, no. This is the path the Lord calls us to. We have to love the path. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, without sanctification, there's no evidence that our lives have really been changed by the work of Christ. Christ saves us. Our work doesn't add to it. 
And, and we're confirmed with that again and again in Scripture that, that that is clear. But if our lives have been changed, then we will desire to live holy. And Lord, this we're going to face this again and again and again. This is a work that sometimes we want to rush. We want to move forward too fast. We want to jump right to work and, and put it to work. And sometimes we can, but we have to understand your work within us is a gradual process. Sometimes there are great leaps and sometimes there are idle moments. But Lord, we want to conform our lives to the things of Christ. We want the gospel to come from our mouths. We want the gospel to come from our hands and from our feet. We want it to rest upon us like a curtain that people would, would see that, that covers us. They don't see Randy. They see the things of Christ. Randy's in there, but it's, it's, it's the gospel that's there. That's growing in holiness. That's putting it to work more and more in our lives. Heavenly Father, we want to see you. And there'll be a time when we will. But until that time, you have kept us here that we may work these things out with fear and trembling that we might grow in holiness in preparation for an eternity that will spend, be spent with you. Lord, seal these things in our hearts today, we pray, that we might rest in your work and love the path of holy living. We pray this in Christ's name.